You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. I invite you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. We've been walking through this series entitled Breathtaking. I said that if I do my job right, you do your job right. There ought to be some audible gasp as we read some of the things that we're about to read in God's holy word. Today we're going to solve a mystery. How many of you like mysteries? You like to read a mystery? You like to watch a mystery on TV? Well, there are some things about Christmas that are kind of mysterious, but there are some things that shouldn't be a mystery. You know, um, the, the star of Bethlehem, that's, that's kind of a mystery. We read about how this, this star kind of led the wise men to baby Jesus there in the manger. People have tried to explain that by some astrologic, astronomical, the, the, something going on with the stars. And um, really, it, it, the Bible doesn't really tell us about what that is. I, I personally believe it was the glory of God that was leading these guys right to the specific place where they needed to go. I don't know about you, but if I don't know where you live and you say, just kind of follow the stars, I'm right under that one, I'm probably not going to discern between your house and your next door neighbor. Uh, but those wise men knew exactly where to go. So the star of Bethlehem is kind of a mystery. But listen, the need for Bethlehem is not. Uh, we're a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners down here, and except for God coming to where we are, we have no hope of ever being where he is, right? So Jesus became a child of man we, so that we could become children of God, right? That's not a mystery. That's, that, that's cleared up. Um, how about the virgin birth? That's a little mysterious, right? Um, uh, how does Mary become pregnant while a virgin and what was actually going on in the chemistry and the DNA? That's kind of a mystery, but, but listen, the deity of Christ is not a mystery. The fact that Jesus became man without giving up anything that it meant to become God, that, that, that we, we, we have to have a a baby Jesus who was fully God, fully man, who would one day grow up and die on a cross in our place as a substitute for our sin. That, that mystery's been cleared up. We know why Jesus came is so that we could, we could go to heaven. And, um, you know, we, we wonder about what heaven's like. That's kind of mysterious. What will it be like in heaven? How many of you have somebody you love already in heaven? Maybe this is the first Christmas where you're celebrating. Uh, trust me, they're having a great day. Uh, today, and uh, we kind of wonder what's going on up there. But listen, it should not be a mystery about how to get to heaven, okay? Uh, we, cl we clear that up around here all the time. So if those things are still a mystery to you, you have come to the right place. We're going to solve the mystery of Christmas. It's no Christmas is no longer a mystery. I want you to see it from the scripture here, Ephesians chapter 3. Let's look in verse 4 to start off with. It says this, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Uh, again, if I do my job right, you do your job right, there should be some times where there are audible gasps. Would you like another run at that? Um, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Yeah, that ought to take your breath away. You understand who's writing? This is, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's saying you can have the same insight that the Apostle Paul had about the whole mystery of Christ by doing one thing. What is that one thing? By reading this. 
Why do we start every message around here with open your Bible? Because by reading this, you can perceive the insight into the mystery of Christ. There are some things that are kind of mysterious. One thing that's not mysterious is about the, is the reason for Christmas. We're going to kind of walk through this here. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you the outline right from the beginning, very simple outline. You see, the mystery of Christmas becomes the majesty of Christmas when the mystery of Christmas is solved through the gospel, when the mystery is displayed through the church, and when the mystery is accessed through our faith. Three different times in this passage, we see that little preposition through, and that's going to be our outline here. We don't make this stuff around, up. We just kind of take it right out of the scripture. That's what we do. So let's get right into the first thing. The mystery is solved through the gospel. Let's begin reading in verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you, Gentiles. Let's unpack that a little bit. We are introduced to the author of this book. We've already found out that is a man named the Apostle Paul. What's interesting about the Bible, in case you are new to this sort of thing, what you have to understand is you are reading a book that was primarily written by Jewish people. It was written to Jewish people, and it was written about Jewish people. What you have in the Old Testament is basically the history of a nation, the Israelites, the Hebrew, the Jewish people. Paul is a Jewish man, and in this book, this section of scripture, he's not writing to Jews, he's writing to people he identifies as you Gentiles. Now, I'm looking around the room, um, I'm not seeing a whole lot of people that look very Jewish, okay? And what that means is, is we are from, we are outsiders. We are, we are what's called Gentiles, which you have to understand about the Gentiles. When you read back in the Old Testament, what you're reading is a history of the, the Jewish people. And if you read the first 15 pages of the Bible, what you read about is God had an incredible plan. He originated it with Adam and Eve and they messed it all up. And then God kind of had to cleanse the earth. And, and there was this flood and eight people got out of the ark and then they had babies. And then we get to a generation and we get to chapter 12, and we're introduced to a man named Abram. Abram was minding his own business one day, and God showed up. Had a little conversation with Abraham. Abram, changed his name to Abraham, and he said this to Abram. He said, I'm going to make your children number the sands of the sea. And he said, I'm going to make you and your descendants into a great nation. And that was the origination of the Hebrew people and then the nation of Israel. And then we read succeeding generations of Abraham's family tree and how they messed up. And there was the rise and the fall of the Israelite nation and all that. That's what's in the Old Testament. That's everything you read in the Old Testament. The question is this, what about us? We're not primarily, looking around the room, primarily from the line of of Abram, what happens to all these outsiders, the Gentiles? Well, if you read Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, what you read is not only did God promise to make Abram, Abraham a great nation, but in that very same verse, he promised to bless all nations through this nation that he was creating from Abram, the Gentiles. The mystery of the Old Testament 
was how is God going to fulfill that promise that he made in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3? Well, Paul knew the, the answer to that question. He, through the revelation of God, had solved that mystery. I want you to see it here in verse 2. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given me for you. And so Paul is sitting in a prison right now. We're told that back up in verse one. It says, I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. And uh, we wouldn't have the book of Ephesians or Colossians or Philemon or Philippians if it had not, had not been for the fact that Paul had been arrested. He was sitting in this, in this prison because he loved the Gentiles so much. He wanted them to have the same access to the promise that the Jewish people had had. Paul loved the Gentiles so much, he would rather go to prison than for Gentiles like you and me to go to hell. That's the price that he paid to get the gospel to these Gentiles. And so he says in verse two, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. Do you see the word stewardship there in that? That verse, what does that mean? What, what was Paul a steward of? A steward is responsible for a possession that belongs to another. Paul was a steward. Yesterday afternoon, there was a FedEx truck that slid into my driveway. Anybody else have a FedEx truck or a UPS truck slide into your driveway anytime? And, and he delivered all of the Christmas presents that the children don't know about yet. And, uh, and he brought these two big boxes. Do you know what a, a FedEx driver is? He is a steward. He has a stewardship. He is delivering something that is actually, that belongs to someone else. The FedEx driver is not the manufacturer of the gift. He's just the distributor of the gift. When Paul says that he is that he has this stewardship of God's grace. Paul wasn't the manufacturer of any grace. He was just the deliverer of the grace. And you and I who have received the gospel, if it's changed your life, it is now your responsibility to become the steward of God's grace to get it to somebody who needs it. And as a minister of God, that's exactly what Paul said he was. Look here in verse three. How the mystery, there's our word, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. You see, when we think about God, when we think about the gospel, so often we want to keep God mysterious. I mean, God is out there, he's other He's holy. And we think, man, he would be a hard guy to get to know. And that would be true if it were not for the fact that God actually wants to make the mystery known. What we have in scripture and what we have in Jesus Christ is the revelation of what can be known about God. Not everything about God can be known. But what God has chosen to reveal himself can be known. And God wants you to know 
this mystery. And Paul has this revelation, and yet in verse 4, we've already read it, he says, you can have the same insight that I have. I've had the revelation, but I'm trying to give it away. I'm trying to let God be known among you. The will and the ways of God can be known to the degree that God has self-disclosed those things through Jesus recorded in his word. Then in verse five, he says this, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Aren't you glad you live in this generation? It says in other generations, they didn't know what I'm telling you right now. Maybe the greatest mystery is this. With all of that revelation available, with the knowledge that by reading this, you can know God, maybe the greatest mystery is this. Why aren't you reading this? That's the real mystery. Uh, my son, Zach, he came home from college on, on Friday. He, he wanted the family to have prayer meeting all week long because it was finals week at college. And so he's like, you got to be praying. You got to be praying. I was kind of reminding him that I'm not going to pray unless you promise to study. And so uh, anyway, did, did anybody have any finals this week? Anybody have any, Mac, do you have any finals? Did you pass? Anybody fail any finals? You probably don't want to say that. Anyway, finals is tough, right? I, 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 read, about this, I read about this professor. He was, a, he was a, an English scholar at uh, Yale University. Uh, he taught English literature at Yale for 41 years until he retired in 1933. His name was William Phelps. One day, one day while grading final exams, he saw an answer to one of the questions that apparently was quite mysterious to one of the students because the student wrote in the answer, God only knows the answer to this question. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> to which the professor replied as he handed the paper back, God gets an A, you get an F, Happy New Year. <laughs> and so apparently that student didn't have the full insight that the professor had about the things that had been revealed. You can have the same insight. The mysteries of God can be known because God wants to disclose them to us. And yet he goes on in verse six, he says this, this mystery is, you want to cut to the bottom line? What is this mystery? You keep talking about the mystery. What is it? Here it is. This mystery is that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs, what does that mean? That means that we Gentiles have the same father as those Jews. And because we have the same father, we have the same right to the inheritance, which means we have the same future. Not only are we heirs, he says we're members of the same body. You know what that means? That means that we're connected because we have the same head and we need each other. We're in the same body. And then he says, we're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Remember that promise that God made back in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham? We are now recipients and partakers of the same promise because we're connected to Christ Jesus through, do you see it? The end of verse six, through the 
gospel. That's the good news. That no matter who you are, no matter what your heritage, no matter what you've done, whether you are black or white, young or old, rich or poor, Irish or Wolverine, Northern Southerner, it doesn't matter. The gospel is for everyone. And everyone can now have access to the Father because the mystery of Christmas has been solved. And Paul was in prison because he was preaching that message. Paul was not in prison because he was preaching Christ. Paul was in prison because he was preaching Christ alone. Do you understand what he was doing? Paul's offer to the Gentiles was an offense to the Jews. Do you know what he was saying? Your Jewish heritage, your religious knowledge, your previous revelation, your previous thoughts about God are not good enough. You're not good enough. Simply because you have had some type of background or you've gone through some religious training, just your knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, nobody knew the scriptures better than the Jews. And yet, they didn't have the same access that the Gentiles did because the Gentiles came through Christ. And the reason that Paul was in jail is because that message is offensive to a self-righteous religious crowd that wants to get to heaven because they think they're good enough. And so they said, lock him up. Paul was not in prison because he preached Christ. He was in prison because he preached Christ alone. We want to make God mysterious, and so we invent our own religions outside of Christ. We invent religions like Islam and Baha'i and Hinduism and, and Buddhism and Christian science and Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism and moralism and meism. That's the worst. It's just, I'm just me. I'm just going to, I'm just going to have faith in me. We invent all kinds of religious sacraments and we want to make it all ornate and weird. And you know why? Because the human mind refuses to accept the simplicity of the gospel. That I will go to heaven by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, so nobody is any better off than anybody else. It is based upon Christ's righteousness, not based on self-righteousness. The mystery is solved through the gospel. If God seems distant, if God seems, seems mysterious to you, it's because you haven't come to him through the gospel. Here's the second thing. The mystery is displayed through the church. Look at verse seven. Of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Does that sound a little arrogant to you? It sounds like Paul's kind of bragging on himself there. I am a minister because I was given a gift and it's given to me through the working of his power. Listen, if that seems arrogant at all to you, you're not reading it right, because look at the very next verse. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to 
preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so again, Paul saw himself as a recipient, not so that he could sit around and just kind of get cozy up and just kind of keep it to himself. And I'm so glad I'm going to heaven. No, Paul was on mission. He had work to do. There was a church to build. And so he understood that his responsibility now was to be a minister. A minister is not somebody that wears a weird collar. It's not even somebody that's on a church staff. I mean, in a certain sense, I guess there's a ministry there that God has given us that may have a little more responsibility. But listen, if you are in Christ, if you are a part of this church, you are a minister. You know what a minister is? A minister is a garden hose. You hook it up on one end to the source and you spray it on anybody nearby. That's all it is. A minister is a channel. It is taking the resources of heaven, God's grace, the message of the gospel, through a loving channel to meet human need for the glory of God. And Paul said, I'm the worst, I'm the least. I, I, I don't understand why God would use somebody as leaky as me to distribute that gospel. And you may feel like I can't be that person. Paul said, I can't be that person either. And yet he is saying, you're better off than he is. You're not sitting in a prison. You've got a circle of influence. And he wants you to become a part of the mission as the church to display this mystery that's been solved through the gospel. You see, we want to sit back and admire the gospel. Isn't it beautiful? Let's, let's write songs about that and let's decorate the church and let's send Christmas cards and let's gather our family in our pajamas around and let's just, let's have a nice little devotion and read the Christmas story. Nothing wrong with any of that. But it's got to be more than admiring the gospel. God doesn't want you to sit back and admire the gospel. God wants you to go out and distribute the gospel, to preach the gospel. You say, well, if, if, I, had a, if I had a nice pulpit like Pastor Trent has, I, I'm sure that I could, I could preach the gospel. If he, if he would just give me a shot on Sunday morning, I'm sure that, that, that I could do it just... Listen, do, do you understand that this was not my first pulpit? Okay. Um, you don't get a pulpit like this until you use the pulpit you already have. And you have a pulpit. Do you understand that? You are to distribute the gospel message wherever you are. I've told you my story, how I met the Lord. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up listening to messages. When I was in 10th grade, um, a church reached out to me. I heard the gospel. I was convicted of sin. I placed my faith in Jesus Christ and the, and the world has never been the same since. Do you wanna hear my first message I ever preached? It happened on a Monday morning in the hallway at Eisenhower High School. I had gotten saved on a Saturday night. I'd gotten baptized on Sunday morning and I went to school on mission the next day. And um, I didn't know any scripture. I couldn't, art, I couldn't outline the gospel. 
All I knew is that I got saved. And I knew that the first thing that I needed to do was to talk to my best friend. His name was Steve. Steve and I were best friends because we had started a country band. Did you know this about your pastor? Now, this was in Oklahoma. We only have two kinds of music in Oklahoma, country and Western. So we, we had a, a nice audience there and we'd won the school talent show the year before. And, and listen, uh, it, I say Steve and I started the band. I was just hanging out. So Steve was letting me hang out. It, it was, uh, I contributed very little to the band, okay? But uh, Steve and I had become uh, friends. And, and so I went to school on this Monday morning and I found Steve and I walked up to him and this is what I said. I said, Steve, I'm quitting the band. And he kind of looked at me weird and he said, why are you doing that? Here was my first sermon. I got saved. And he looked at me like, what in the world does that mean? And I couldn't unpack it any further than that. And we parted ways. That was my first pulpit. That was my first sermon. And God began to kind of expand some opportunities. You just keep stepping through the doors. This morning, I haven't talked to Steve in 25 years. This morning, I got an email from a guy named Steve. This is what it says. Hello, Trent, or should I say Pastor Trent? I just got through watching your latest sermon on your website. What leaves me breathless is just what you preached, God removing the wall between us through Christ and the cross. I watch your sermons and every time I do, I could just burst open with happiness for you. I am so stinking proud of you. And you, every time I see your face, come on the screen. Haven't communicated in a while. I really enjoy your sermons and I'm praying that God continues to use you to bring souls into his kingdom. I pray blessings upon you and all that you hold dear. May our God supply you with more than you need this coming year. Always know that I am one of your biggest fans in the work that you do in your ministry and I hope you and your beautiful family have a wonderful Christmas. Your brother in Christ, Steve. You can't make this stuff up. Paul said that I am a minister by the grace of God to distribute the gospel to all who will hear. We wanna sit back and admire the gospel. God wants you to use the pulpit you have to distribute the gospel. Do you understand that you have a pulpit? We want God to work without us. God wants to get the done get the work done through us. Two weeks ago, I got a message in my Facebook inbox from a 17-year-old girl in this church. She sent it to Andrea and me, and um, this is what it says. It says, Pastor Trent and Mrs. Griffith, I just want to encourage you both with an amazing but God story from today. A friend of mine added me to a group text conversation she started so that uh, we would pray for others. One day I checked it and a girl who I didn't know was texting me about some hard things that she was facing and she asked for prayer. I texted her privately and sent her some verses and encouragement and asked her how old she was and if she lived in the area, 17-year-old girl, run on sentence, and, want on, and, and, and I asked her if she wanted to come to church with me. 
She messaged me back and said she'd never really been to church, but would love to come to our youth group. I was shocked because I'd never even met her, but it was 100% God in control. She's been coming to youth group and to church these past few weeks, and she's been asking lots of questions about the gospel. But afterwards, she would say that she just needed time to think about it and process it. Today, two weeks ago, we went out to Panera. There's a pulpit at Panera, apparently. We went out to Panera after church and she had her but God moment. It was all him and I loved humbly sitting back and watching him move and it was so cool how he planned everything and how we uh, met in such a crazy way. We gave her a Bible and a prayer journal and, uh, um, and it was the best feeling in the world hearing her pray and give her life to him and her hunger for him. She said the message today answered every question she was afraid to ask. She said she felt like God was speaking through you just to her. She's sitting right over there. Hi, Liz. Can I ask you a question? Where's your pulpit? Who do you love so much that you would risk opposition, resistance, and rejection so that somebody else could hear the message so they wouldn't have to go to hell? You're a minister, and God wants to get this message through you. The world is watching and waiting to see if the church really thinks the gospel is that big a deal. How big a deal is it to you? Look down here at verse Nine, here's what happens when you preach the gospel. You bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things, verse 10, so that through the church, there it is, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Let me read that again. I want you to think about what I just read. So that the wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Do you know what God is doing through the church? He is displaying his wisdom and his grace. We said the world is watching the church. Do you know who else is watching? Something he calls the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What in the world is that? You understand there is a spiritual realm. You understand there are spiritual beings. Angels, you've heard of these? There are two kinds of angels. There are angels and then there are fallen angels. Angels exist to do the will of God. Fallen angels exist to oppose the will of God. And neither angels nor fallen angels have ever experienced the grace of God. And so do you know the only way they can know anything about the grace of God? It's by watching the church. Did you know somebody was watching you when you walked into this church this morning? They saw how you slid into that parking spot. 
They watched which seat you selected this morning. And they're watching you right now to see whether or not you think church is a big deal. If you think grace is a still a big deal, if you think the gospel is still a big deal, they're watching you. As a matter of fact, Peter, another apostle, commented on this in his book. He said this, there are some things that have now been announced to you. True or false? Some things announced to you? If I'm doing my job right, that's true, okay? Some things that are announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. The angels are watching you so they can know how big a deal the grace of God is because angels and demons have never experienced the grace of God. Church is a big deal. When we gather on a Sunday, when we lift our voices in praise, when we make much of Jesus Christ, we are displaying not only to a lost world, but to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places how big a deal the gospel of grace really is to us. Your attendance at church is a big deal. I know I'm preaching the choir right now. I mean, you overcome a lot to get here this morning. And praise God that if I think if we canceled church, you'd show up anyway. I mean, it's like, what's wrong with you? Like, we ought to have church. And church is a big deal. Your membership in church is a big deal. Still, some of you haven't gotten over the hump of, you know, just coming, kicking the tires and just kind of showing up, but, but actually embracing responsibility and saying, I want to be responsible for what's going on around here. Not just benefiting from the church, but contributing to the church. Membership is a big deal. Your serving and leading in the church is a big deal. Your giving to the church is a big deal. And every time you pry your fingers off of something God has given you to give back to him, you display what a big deal church and the gospel is. And church planting is a big deal. We make a big deal. You know, we only do two things around here. You know what we do? We make disciples and we plant churches. That's what we do. Do you know that only 4% of churches ever reproduce themselves? We've already done that like four or five times around here. We've got the campus up in St. Joe. Uh, we've already sent out Jeremiah Canfield and we've planted Harvest Bible Chapel in Pittsburgh. We've sent out Jamie Hart and he's planted Harvest Bible Chapel in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We've sent out Micah Mathis and he's about to open the doors to Harvest Bible Chapel there in St. Louis on the south side. And now we've got Enrique, who's getting ready to plant Harvest Bible Chapel in Belize. We just had 40 church planters go through four months of training in Chicago. There they are. Enrique's the red-shirted guy over on the left there. And, and uh, Enrique's family's going to be coming to Granger. And we're going to introduce him to Snow. <laughs> He's from Belize, for crying out loud, you know. So these guys are getting ready to go out to plant the next round of churches. They're not all going to plant churches. There's 40 guys there. 26 of them are going to plant brand new Harvest Bible chapels in places like San Antonio, Texas, and Seattle, Washington, and Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Albany, New York, and, and Charlotte, North Carolina, and Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Madison, Wisconsin. But not just there. Places like Rwanda, and Uganda, and Barbados, and Belize. And then 
Five of those guys are filling existing uh, positions as senior pastors in Harvest Churches. Four of them are gonna become staff at existing Harvest Churches to give them the next level of training so that we can raise them up. Three of them are still waiting. It's like, where's the next core group gonna be planted so that we can go out and plant churches? The church is a big deal. Why? Because it's through the church that the mystery of the gospel is on display. Here's the third point. The mystery is accessed through our faith. Look at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, I've heard some people say that, you know, the cross and Bethlehem, that was kind of God's plan B because the first plan really didn't work. You know, his original purpose was kind of Adam and Eve, but they blew it. And so he had to come up with this kind of secondary alternative plan and he kind of got it started through Abraham and then that didn't really work. And so he had to kind of start over with Jesus. That is not what the scripture teaches, folks. God's plan A has always been from the beginning of time, his eternal purpose was that all of it was realized in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, in whom we have two things, boldness and access with confidence, here it is, through our faith in him. The word access there in verse 12 reminded me of something that happened on Friday morning. Andrea and I go to a local gym and work out in the morning and on Friday, um, we, we have a key fob that unlocks the door of the gym. Do you, do you understand a key fob? It's kind of this magical wand, you know, that opens doors. And, uh, and we both have one, but when we go together, we just kind of make sure that one of us has one. So, so Andrea had hers. We went together. We went and worked out. An hour later, um, it's time to leave the gym. But Andrea needed to finish a conversation with somebody that she was having in the gym. She instructed me I needed to go out and move a Christmas package from one car to the other. And so I went out the door of the gym. Okay, after an hour working out, I am a big ball of sweat. I walk out of the gym, it's five degrees. Okay, I am being crystallized <laughs> with every second that passes by. And so I do my job, but then I realize I don't have keys to the car, she's got them inside the gym, and I don't have a key fob to get back in the gym. I don't have access to heat. I am beginning to look like Olaf in Frozen, okay? And so I just went to the window. I'm like pounding on the inside. I'm like, I'm dying out here, you know? I needed somebody from the inside to give me access. Unless I had a key, an access key. Do you understand what the access key is to everything that we've been talking about? It is your faith. It is not your intellectual agreement with what we've said. It's not scoring 100 on a Bible trivia test. It's not your religious training. It's not your family background. It's not your history. And it is certainly not your good works or self-righteousness. All that we have talked about is accessed exclusively through your faith, your dependence upon, your reliance upon something outside of you to get you into places you don't belong. It is our faith that gives us access 
to the gospel, to a relationship with Jesus Christ, and until you intentionally activate your faith, everything I'm talking about is going to be mysterious to you. God doesn't want it to be mysterious. He wants you to know him. And the enemy of faith is not bad deeds. Some people kind of, well, there's two categories of people. You have faithful people and you have really bad people. No, there's another enemy to faith. You know what it is? Not only bad deeds, but good deeds. Some people avoid Jesus by being really bad. Other people avoid Jesus by being really good. And if you're good enough and you're smart enough and you're religious enough, who needs Jesus? You'll begin to think you can get there without him. And even if you have already activated faith to be saved years ago, do you understand you need as much faith today to save you as you needed then? And it is only by re-believing and repenting every time God's word is revealed to me that I will take my next step in relationship with him. Is your faith active or is your faith passive? Is your faith present or is your faith past? Every time God reveals himself to you, you must choose to activate faith, to believe him and to obey him if you're gonna take any further step onward with God. All of it is accessed through your faith. There's one more verse. Actually, let me show you this before I go to it. Here's what we're saying. Sometimes we want to make up an individualized, unique plan just for us. Some people say, well, I just, I've, I've kind of made my peace with God or God and I have this agreement. I don't know what God you're talking about because uh, God has only given one plan and it applies to everyone and it goes like this. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. It is an exclusive, narrow access you have. It is only through faith in Christ that makes God known. Look at the last verse, verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So he starts out this whole paragraph telling us that he's in prison. Not, not because he's doing something wrong, but because he's doing something right. He would rather go to prison than for you to go to hell and so they're probably feeling kind of sorry for them. Like, but Paul's really suffering because he's, he's risked his life to give us the gospel. And they were, maybe were depressed. And he's like, no, 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 no. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm doing all of this for you. And it is through this ministry, this garden hose, that you are becoming glorious. And you know what Paul is saying? It's worth it. It's worth any price I have to pay. Can I ask you this question? Who do you love that much? That at your own cost, you would get the gospel to them so that they could have access to the things that God has given you access to. You see, we think resistance makes us failures. God thinks resistance 
makes us glorious. It's in the refining, it's in the hardship, it's in pressing through that God brings a greater glory through our sufferings. I don't know what kind of resistance you have. I don't know what kind of suffering you're going through. It may be a physical problem or a relational issue or a financial difficulty. Do, do you know that in that resistance, God is making his glory known through you? Because now you're a real person. I mean, people that get this kind of pulpit, they expect me to live right. They don't expect you to live right. You're real. And when you suffer and you have difficulty, you're not getting paid to be a preacher. And so the only reason you would be preaching this message is because you actually love the people. You're actually making a bigger deal about their security than you are yours. And so we think resistance makes us a failure. God thinks resistance makes us glorious. And then this last thing, we think running away from difficulty is reasonable. God thinks facing toward difficulty is glorious. What do you do when you meet difficulty? Shut down, crawl in a hole, suck your thumb, get on the phone with your sister, complain about how terrible life is? Is that what you do? Or do you realize that we'll never have the ultimate glory until we're with him in heaven? And so whatever we have to endure down here is worth it because God is making us glorious. That's what he's like. Don't lose heart. He says, over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. There is so much glory in this room right now because you suffer well, because you obey God in spite of the resistance. And that brings an incredible joy that the world can't explain because you know the mystery's been solved through the gospel. The mystery is on display through the church and the mystery is accessed by your faith. In summary, let's put it this way. The gospel is for everyone. Church is a big deal and my faith is absolutely critical if I'm gonna have joy in the difficult circumstances that I'm in. I wanna invite you to stand to your feet right now. You have a spark of joy in your heart when you hear this message? Like, do you rejoice that you have insider access through your faith? As we close the service today, I've asked Micah to come. He's gonna lead us in a song, but as we sing, I want you to activate faith in your heart, responding with joy, responding with glory. Give it back to God as we celebrate not just a baby in a manger, but the whole history of salvation that God has designed a perfect world. That world's been broken that God is in the process of redeeming it and his glory is on display through our faith, through the church, through the gospel. Let's sing it out, our joy.